It is the 200 level, my carpenter in the basement studio on a Wednesday morning, which is unusual, but it is winter break for me for the rest of this week. And I apologize for maybe a little bit worse for wear voice, but I was at the State Farm Center last night and that was fun. This is a really good basketball team. And I was kind of anxious to get back there because after the dust had settled from the initial shock of the Terrence Shannon charge out in Lawrence, Kansas, as a fan, you're kind of left picking up the pieces and wondering, how do I go forward with this? Like, how much fandom am I going to invest in a team that has this kind of cloud hanging over it? I was reckoning with that. And then this group of guys that are still on the court looked really good against FDU. And there was part of me yesterday when I woke up, because I didn't have a ticket yesterday when I woke up and I texted my sister and they have a pack of four and one of their kids didn't want to go. And I said, Hey, I'll go. There was this poll in some weird way that I wanted to be in that arena with this team that is still presently together. And I don't know if it's, uh, you know, out of solidarity or support for the guys that are having to, in their own way, fight through adversity. And I, I want to talk about that in a minute. What is truly adversity and what is not? When it's self-inflicted or when it's something going through the court system, can we call it adversity in the same way that we can call an injury or something? I, I don't know if we can. But all that is to say, this group of guys that are still playing together are playing extremely well. And not only that, but they are a very likable bunch. They are the complete antithesis of what we saw with last year's team. A selfless, old, wily veterans all on the court at the same time that are, to borrow a word from Brad Underwood and all of these players, connected. And I would go so far as to say extremely connected in a way that I have not seen from an Illini team in a long time, including Brad Underwood's so far best team, the one that got the one seed with Iowa and Kofi and a really good Andre Corbello as a freshman, among other players, that was a really good team. But even at their peak, there were moments of disconnect. And while it felt really good going into March and you felt like they would take a deep run, I certainly did. We saw in the Loyola game and a few other intermittent games throughout January and February that that didn't always coalesce. And sometimes you'd have to say, Io, go do Io things. Or Kofi, go do Kofi things. With this particular team, what's interesting is that you don't necessarily need a go-to guy because at any given point, the five guys on the court can go and get theirs. And it seems to nullify, at least to this point, with an 11-2 and record, it seems to nullify the notion that I and many people had that you don't have a playmaking point guard, so your ceiling is capped. Add on top of this, your All-American guard presumable All-American had he not gotten into this legal situation, Terrence Shannon, and you look every bit as good. Now, is that going to stick? I don't know if that's the case. I do think that there is a certain cap to this team's ceiling without a playmaker like Terrence Shannon. But as it stands right now, two games into this Terrence-less stretch, this team looks more than capable. They certainly look like a top 25 team, and I was giving Steve Greenberg a little bit of joshing on Twitter last night because Steve is a great guy and we've had him on the podcast and I talked with him back at 93.5 many times, always enjoyed the conversations with him. 
He's a really good sports journalist, and he left Illinois off of the top 25 ballot this week. Of course, that got a lot of Illini fans really ticked off. He even wrote a story explaining his rationale behind it. Polls don't mean a whole lot to me. And if anything, I don't mind a bunch of older veterans like this Illini team having that extra chip on their shoulder. I think they can actually utilize that to their advantage. But as I tweeted at Steve last night, I would not want to be Steve Greenberg's Twitter mentions on a night like this. And he replied saying, there are so many. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I remember the Illinois-Kansas game, the football game back in September when I was on one, as the kids might say. I was a little bit peeved, a little bit ticked off. And the amount of vitriol I got back for maybe not the most thoughtful tweets on my own end. Illini fans are crazy, right? And I mean that as a compliment because fan bases should be crazy. It's more fun if they are crazy. And through all of this last week, really only six days since we found out about Terrence Shannon and his legal situation, what a whirlwind it has been for this fan base. You go from the absolute pits of, is the season over? (laughs) I mean, what can you really hope to accomplish without this really good player? And then two games, albeit not against the best competition, but it's not as if you just looked okay. You looked amazing on both sides of the court. Everyone playing with such synergistic quality and the fact that they are so complementary of one another on both sides of the court. This is a team that presents matchup nightmares for most Big Ten opponents. And I would include maybe not nightmare because Purdue can offset that with a certain seven foot four freak. And I mean that as a compliment. But... This is a team that's going to be major problems for most of the Big Ten teams they face, with or without Terrence Shannon Jr. And what I want to do is hit up the sponsors and then talk about the guy at the top that assembled this team, but not just assembled this team, is helping them maximize what they have. Because coming into the season, I was down in a way on Brad Underwood, and I was highly critical of Brad Underwood with the way that last season unfolded. And I want to start with that after I hit up the sponsors, including DPDO, online at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdo.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so go online to dpdo.com. Get yourself a custom calzone with any of the toppings that you want. And no better time than now, while the students are gone on campus, to order DPDO for lunch, dinner, or a late-night victory calzone on Friday. Could we have a victory calzone late on Friday? That's dpdo.com. Also, Owen Builders, LLC. online at owenbuildersllc.com. Luke and his staff are just expert craftsmen, but also the customer service that you get from Luke and Owen Builders, that's what separates them from a lot of contractors. Listen, contractors have a hard job. I couldn't do it. But the communication piece is important. When you want to get a home or a deck, a home addition, deck or patio, excuse me, Luke, <laughs> messed up that read there for a second, That's what these guys are great at, and they are timely, and you can get a free quote today by going to ownbuildersllc.com. Also, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Give them a call at 217-841-4728. Dogtown has been with us for a few years, and we appreciate their service on our own HVAC system, which is purring like a kitten, as the temperatures surely are getting colder. It was really frigid yesterday. I mean, not terrible, but bad enough that when I got back from the State Farm Center, what do you know? The house is nice and toasty as I go to bed. That's thanks to them and uh, their superior 
um, service technicians, which we've had good luck with every single one of them that have come here from Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Give them a call at 217-841-4728. And finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, business renters, you name it. Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy as well at brianismyguy.com. We will get him in for some second half podcast. And I will say that from an insurance perspective, we've been working with Brian for a few years as well, and I cannot commend him and his staff enough for the just incredibly quick communication, which when it comes to insurance, that's kind of what you want. And on top of that, just as a person, I mean, I think it does matter sometimes to be able to vouch for the person that you are entrusting your insurance needs with. I can do that with Brian. So that's Brian Hansen, State Farm agent online at brianismyguy.com. Champagne Showers Podcast Network, appreciate them as well and appreciate you, the listeners and the viewers. I know we got a few in the live video feed today. Again, it's a random time. I I don't normally do these on nine o'clock on a Wednesday, but winter break, love it. Let's start with Brad Underwood and... To add some context, if there are any new listeners, back in the spring, when we were going through the whole rigmarole of the transfer portal and adding guys and trying to keep certain guys, I had released a podcast called Two Out of Three Ain't Bad, and that was in regards to Terrence Shannon Jr., Coleman Hawkins, but missing out on Ray J. Dennis. And my big thing with Brad Underwood, and this led to some even with someone I'd known for a long time that maybe they still listen to the podcast or maybe they don't, that I would get a lot of sort of pissed off tweets and replies because I was being highly critical of Brad Underwood. My basis for the criticism was I thought that last year's team, despite the personality conflicts that existed, that Brad Underwood could have finessed that a little bit better. And that part of his salary is to whatever collection of talent he has, make it work the best he can. And I think we would all agree that last year it did not work. And furthermore, I thought that Illini fans were a little bit too quick to say, well, it was Matthew Myers' fault, and it was Jaden Epps' fault, and it was Sky Clark's fault. All of which may be true, mind you. You know, my niece uh, was sitting next to her last night, and she asked me about Jaden Epps. Why isn't he here? And I would agree with the general consensus that, yeah, Jaden Epps probably was a bit of a sourpuss last year when things didn't go his way, but also in defense of Jaden, you know, this is someone that as a freshman signed on to play for this program. He's a pretty talented player, albeit for a really bad Georgetown team, but there were parts of Brad Underwood's style that just didn't work with him and he got sick of it. And you know what? The Brad Underwood that we saw last year, I can understand that to an extent. The Brad Underwood I see this year is someone that seems more comfortable than ever with the program that he's running. And I need to commend him on identifying pieces that would work with this collection of talent, identifying pieces that truly represent the mantra of everyday guys, which I kind of had an issue with over the first six years of the Underwood era, because as much success as Brad Underwood has brought to this program and as relevant as he has made you, when before you were not really relevant at all. Everyday guys wasn't really it. There was this weird inconsistency, even with the really good Illini teams. And they would go on heaters. They'd go on win streaks. But there'd be the occasional half or something where you'd think, what the hell was that? And it would go beyond, oh, they didn't play great defense for a few possessions, or oh, they didn't make shots. There would be this really weird element of inconsistency, even with the one seed back in 2021. 
But this team truly seems to embody everything that Brad Underwood stands for and everything that he hopes to have in a program. And for all the the bluster of earlier Brad Underwood years where there was sort of a swaggering element about him, watching the press conferences this year, he's not having to really sell anything in a way that I think he had to in years past. He's not having to twist anything. It's right there on the court for us. So he can just very calmly and collected go up to the press podium and just report back, yep, this team's pretty good. And, And hey, kudos to him. He can take a bit of a victory lap already in this early going of the season to say that despite the lack of a point guard and other questions we had coming into the season, his vision for this team is starting to come into focus. That is a credit to him. And it gives me a lot of encouragement, even knowing that most of these guys will be gone next year, that now he has a model to sell. This is the team I want to have on the court year in, year out. Transfers like a Quincy Guerrier and a Marcus Damask and a Justin Harmon, which we'll get to him. They were in demand, but they were not Matthew Meyer in demand, right? Or Terrence Shannon in demand. These are guys that you can identify throughout the course of a college basketball season and say, hey, come April, go after that guy. And I do think that this could set up a nice new paradigm for how Brad Underwood runs his program. Get a couple high school kids a year, like two. Why, why get any more than that? Get a Hansberry and a DGL and let them learn, and they seem happy to be here. And then go to the transfer portal and get veteran guys that are really good, but maybe not in the top 10 list, uh, you know, 24-7 sports, best transfers available. You don't need that. If you identify talent that works in this system, there you go. But I just said in the system. Think about this. Brad Underwood is shifting the system in which these guys play. Booty ball, as it is called, that we saw Jalen Pickett run so effectively at Penn State. Now we're running it with both Ty Rogers and with... um, Sorry, I just got a notification on my screen there. With Ty Rogers and Marcus Damask, both who were phenomenal yesterday, Damask especially, and Ty Rogers when he wasn't in foul trouble. And we are seeing an adaptable coach. That was always one of my favorite things about Brad Underwood, is that he would tailor the system to his talent. He is not stuck in his ways. What I'm excited to see, hopefully, going forward, long-term with Brad Underwood, is... Now that we have a model through an entire course of a season, knock on wood that you know injuries, of course, and other things can come into play here, but we are seeing what can happen with this kind of talent. And would I say that this team has elite talent? I think a Terrence Shannon Jr. is an elite talent. I think that Coleman Hawkins is an elite defender, but really it's a collection of very good players. It's the old proverbial, ah, you got a bunch of four stars, right? I don't know if Tan- I don't think Terrence was a five star. I don't think any of these guys were, but a lot of them were four stars. And that's showing. There was a selflessness to this team that maybe you could say something about, well, four stars are probably a little less selfish than five stars. I don't know. That's very anecdotal and a little bit meatball-y kind of sports uh, commentary right there. But maybe there is something to that. That when you don't have a five star Sky Clark, and a five-star transfer, let's call him, in a Matthew Meyer, just the things that poisoned the well last year are not poisoning the well this year. And in fact, this team from the outset 
has been extremely likable. There's really, I mentioned the word synergistic earlier. That There is a synergistic quality to this team. I had this thought last night. 13 games into the season, they have played two what you would call bad halves. Valpo the first half. And I was up in Michigan for an early Thanksgiving weekend. And I tweet out, this team is a big bunch of nothing. I will happily eat crow on that. I know that ticks some people off and they have that screenshot ready to go when this team is playing well. Hey, I eat crow for the fact that back on November 15th or 16th, whenever that was, they weren't looking so hot. And Brad Underwood and this group of players have somehow worked their way into being a legitimate top 10 team. Legitimate. And I would even argue, and we'll see with Friday especially, that's a big test. But it would not surprise me if whatever the result is Friday, we wake up Saturday morning and say, yeah, they're still a top 10 quality team. And I think that's actually the more likely outcome from what happens Friday. But it's crazy to think that we're sitting here six days from when the Terrence Shannon news dropped and we're feeling good about this basketball team. I think what would have happened regardless is the fan base would have rallied around the guy still on the court. This is what happens in sports. Something happens to a star whether it be a legal situation or an injury. And we will get to the Terrence Shannon stuff here towards the end of the podcast because I want to focus on the guys that are still playing. And I think that we would have been supportive of this group regardless and thought, hey, there's still a tournament team and you know, certain things bounce their way. They, this can still end up being a successful season even if Terrence doesn't come back. But these two games have raised those expectations but not in some sort of weird pressure-packed way. There's something reliable about this team where I have a hard time imagining that they're going to go through some crazy slump. I have a hard time imagining that they're going to have game after game of of sloppy and uninspired play. I I can't envision that. And knowing that they aren't going to be perfect and knowing that they are going to lose a few more games this year, there's this weird relaxation that I get when watching them. I'm trying to think the last time I was nervous watching this team. I think probably the Tennessee game because it felt like, wow, they can get three in a row. Or maybe actually the Rutgers game in a weird way because I thought this is the first road test and we had not seen prolonged excellence from this team. But from December 1st to this moment, and Derek Piper pointed this out on the Enquirer podcast last night, Bart Torvik, excuse me, is kind of like a Ken Palm. He's an analytics guy. And according to his metrics, Illinois has the number one offense in the nation since December 1st. The number one offense. And as Jeremy made point of last night, not exactly against weak competition. Rutgers, Florida Atlantic, Tennessee, yeah, Missouri's not great, fine. <laughs> but it's a rivalry game, and you smoked him. Colgate, NCAA tournament team, probably based on their league. They have shown out against some pretty damn good teams. And I think you can also take encouragement in the fact that against lesser teams, they aren't just winning. They're smoking them. I'm not going to sit here and say Northwestern's good. I don't think they are. But they did beat Purdue... They're like 68th on Ken Palm. Ken Palm has them projected to win 17 or 18 games. They, they were already 10-2 and two coming into the game last night. And that game was never in doubt. Not once. 
There were a few early threes from Ty Berry and, and Boo Booey. And I looked to my brother-in-law and I, th- I said, if this is happening again, like the Northwestern game last year, I'm going to be annoyed. But I also knew that this Illini team was not going to fall down 18 at half and have to mount some crazy comeback just to beat Northwestern. And what happened instead is you went up 17 a half. You went up by as many as 30 in the second half. It was truly top to bottom, tip off to the final buzzer, a complete performance. You could argue the best performance all year. And in a game that I thought was kind of consequential because first Big Ten game after Terrence Shannon, what can we expect from this group now that we're back in conference play? And what did you get? You got something pretty awesome. I got some stuff here in the chat thread. And let's see here. This is from Smitty. Carp, I couldn't take the TSJ news. It was another nut punch after COVID shortened 2020, Loyola, and the crap show that was last year's roster turnover. But these guys are likable and making me hope. Smitty, let's talk about that for a second. I, I mentioned in the last podcast that I was driving back from Michigan so post-Christmas, driving back from Michigan, and that news breaks. But my first viewing of that was through text messages, and then I had to go on Twitter to see what exactly happened because the text messages indicated something really bad was going on. And I agree with you, Smitty. At the time, it felt selfish to admit that there was a nut-punch quality to this. Oh, not again, because of the seriousness of these charges. The selfishness comes in where you say, oh, woe is me. They aren't going to be good at basketball. But listen, upon reflection, we can hold two truths in, in, at the same time, right? One truth being that whatever happened to the accuser or p- potential victim of this thing, is that's the paramount thing going on here, right? We need to consider that before sports. But it is okay to pivot back to the sports and say, yes, as an Illini fan, ouch, this sucks. And like you, Smitty, it was hard not to lump that in with previous disappointments or things that didn't go our way. Of course, they're all apples and oranges. The COVID-shortened year, you had no control over that. Losing to Loyola, you had control over that, and you just played your worst game of the season. Yay. At the worst possible time. This, completely different circumstance. But nonetheless, as a fan, it still hurts. It sucks. And... Smitty, I had a hard time on Friday, for example, before the FDU game. I had planned on going to that game, but my sister and brother-in-law took those tickets instead. I didn't necessarily want to be in that arena on that night because it was too raw of a feeling for me to go there and think, I don't want to be there for a funeral-like ambiance. I don't want to be there with this thing in the back of my head that, well, our potential All-American just did something really awful. And on top of that, that's going to adversely affect this team's chances of having a lot of success. So, Smitty, the fact that this team in two games, and I will throw the word distraction out there. That is such a cliche thing for sports. But, yeah, this is a pretty big distraction for a group of guys to say, hey, your best player, he's going to be gone for a while. Now you got to go play a couple of basketball games with this hanging over your heads. And... I don't want to belabor the point because, again, the charges in Lawrence, Kansas are far bigger and more important than a basketball game. But from a sports perspective, this team is so likable and more likable in the last week because of how they've responded. 
it shows a lot of maturity and a lot of focus. I do think that they and the coaching staff and the athletic department are handling this the right way. You know, there was a moment last night where I was driving back from the game and Justin Harmon was on the post-game pod, uh, post-game broadcast with Brian Barnhart. And he said, yeah, you know, we're trying to win this for, you know, go out there and I'm paraphrasing, but essentially win or play for Terrence. Now, that would understandably cause some eyes to roll. I didn't want to jump on that because all these guys know are each other and that locker room environment. And I'm sure they have their own narrative as to what happened in Lawrence, Kansas. I would imagine that they feel a certain way about what's going on with that case. So that didn't bother me with Justin saying that. I understand why if you were an Illini fan, you would roll your eyes the same way that a lot of us roll our eyes when Michigan beats Alabama in the Rose Bowl and they talk about adversity. And you want to shake them by their heads and say, that's self-inflicted adversity, you dopes. You cheated. Don't talk about adversity. I'll say this. Michigan had as a roster and as a program had control over the whole cheating thing. And now they used it and bottled it up into a nice little bottle of victimhood. And they've been drinking from that all year long. The difference here with this Illinois situation is that not a single guy in that court last night had any bearing or effect on what happened in Lawrence, Kansas. There was nothing, no impact they could have made on that. And what's going on with Terrence right now. And credit to them. So far, I've yet to hear anything along the lines of victimhood. It would be tasteless. It'd be inappropriate given the circumstances. And they're just going out there and they're, they're balling. And they're so easy to root for in the process. And this is from Kyle. The best part is that we're finally getting consistently hot starts. Too many times last year, we didn't start playing until after the first TV timeout. Kyle, I almost forgot about the slow starts. And like you, I'm starting to expect the fast starts. Purdue will be a unique challenge. That environment is tough. I don't care who you are. But I do think that this team, part of the reason why there's a little bit less anxiety in watching them is they continue to start well. And then you get to the first media timeout and you think, okay, well, yeah, we're playing well and let's just do this for 36 more minutes. Whereas last year, you get to the first media timeout and you'd ask yourself, when are they going to wake up? Sometimes they didn't. This is from, let's see here. Uh, Jordan Bobo. I'll get to the Terrence Shannon stuff here in a bit. Yes, but we will talk about that. And then, Chathred, if there's anything else that you saw from last night's game or just kind of going forward to the Purdue game, pop that in there as well. I want to hit a few individuals. Marcus Damas, to start with him, who I thought since the Florida Atlantic game had not quite been himself. And... Hard to call it a funk because I'm pretty sure that he was still averaging double digits in that three-week stretch. But last night, the matchup called for him to do some booty ball to essentially be the facilitator. Because keep in mind, Damask had either five or six assists last night. When he could have scored or forced something to get that 34 points to set a new high score record this year for himself, what does he do? He throws an alley-oop to Coleman instead. The offense can work through that. And... Maybe the matchups won't be as favorable as Northwestern, but I do think in this Big Ten, there are going to be certain nights where you just say, hey, Marcus, you do that. We'll have four guys basically go to the perimeter. And it's not just, hey, four corners and Marcus will toss it out to you or he'll take it himself. There were so many great cuts that we saw out of the basket, specifically from Coleman and Quincy off of that action. Marcus Damask was fantastic last night. It got to a certain point 
where every time he had the ball, I almost started laughing to myself because I could see Illinois clear out and I thought, okay, we get another ISO. And I was okay with it. I was having a hell of a time watching Marcus just continually create for himself and inevitably finish. 11 for 15 from the field. Pretty remarkable. Let's see here. Justin Harmon. How about this? 18 points against FDU. Okay, fine. You got a lot of points against the scrub team. Even though I, I like Justin and really like the way he's been playing last month. Follow that up with 20 points. What I like about Justin Harmon's game, of course he's got a smooth stroke. And he was kind of a microwave coming in. We knew that from last year at Utah Valley State, he had the capability of going for 20 plus points. And then the next night he might get seven or eight points. It's the fact that sometimes when a defender closes out on him aggressively, he is darting to the basket and he is showing the ability to finish around the basket. Now, that might be tougher against certain bigs, but I really like his offensive game. And I think defensively, he can be a bit of a pest. With Terrence out, for however long that may be, it is essential that you get something from Justin Harmon. And what you're getting is a very confident shooting guard off the bench that gives you something offensively and gives you a little bit of energy defensively. I knew that you were getting a good Justin Harmon night last night when Ty and Luke had to go out for the last five minutes of the first half because of foul trouble. And it's Harmon in there for those last five minutes and you maintained your lead. And then the second half, you helped build that lead when Justin was just unconscious from three, four for five. So that is super encouraging. And when he comes off the bench, I look forward to it. He's not the biggest guard, but keep in mind, even against a Purdue, a Braden Smith and a Fletcher Lawyer are like six foot and six one. They aren't big. And I don't know how many big guards you're facing in the Big Ten. That's what makes Damask and Ty Rogers such an an intriguing proposition going forward. And I'll throw Luke Goody out there as well, since he often plays in the backcourt. But Justin, his size isn't going to be that detrimental when you consider his role on this team and the fact that the Big Ten doesn't have a ton of big guards themselves. This is from Smitty. Nice to see Goody go to the basket, and he genuinely loves when his teammates succeed. Not one selfish bone in that guy. And I I want to mention Luke Goody, Smitty, who I thought last night when the foul trouble wasn't affecting his time spent on the court was very good yet again. The moment that really got the State Farm Center into it. It was before, I think, the second media timeout. Luke dove for a ball out of bounds, and he threw it off Northwestern guy, Illinois ball, timeout. And the place erupted. And for good reason. That's the kind of play that, again, meatball-y as it sounds, is not something you often saw last year. And that's a really a credit to him, but also when you saw the way his teammates reacted to that hustle play. That stuff matters. It does. In a game like basketball, when you're really only going seven deep rotation-wise, and you might get spot minutes for a DGL or a Hansberry, you know, to see that those guys are that connected to borrow another cliche is very encouraging because they're going to need that. You know, they, the depth is not there. The guys they are playing are all really good, but the depth isn't there. So that means that there's going to be those moments where you know, those hustle plays, when you got to really dig deep in the last bit of your energy reserves, you know that these guys are willing to do that. One other thing too, that I was thinking about, we didn't have to substitute a lot yesterday. And I don't know if there's any truth to this or not, but I'm thinking offensively with the mask, just doing booty ball, ISO, 
possession after possession. How much energy were we really expending on offense? It was superbly efficient. 96 points, right? And back in November when this team was in the 200s, according to Torvik for offense, it felt like they had to labor to get baskets. I know I even had a tweet or two, like the Marquette game. It's why is every basket, why is it so labored? There's not much labored about this offense right now. They are getting what they want. And there will be games where there's more resistance, right? Purdue is going to give you more resistance. That's a much better defense than Northwestern. But if one guy's not getting it, you still have four other guys on the court that you think can get you a shot. And that is such a 180 from my biggest concerns back in November. And I know that, you know, Jeremy spoke to it too, that this team would defensively and rebounding wise, they'd be really good. But offensively, that was the question. Well, now offensively, they're amazing. Where did this come from? And in two games, they've done without Terrence Shannon as well. Uh, let's see. This is from Bobo. For some reason, I have a really good feeling about Friday's game and could see a 10 point, 10 plus point Illinois win. Couldn't tell you why though. Bobo, I am going to wake up with no pressure and no nerves. I'm going to be really excited to watch that game. We will do a second half pod for that game as well. And Bobo, I, I get the feeling that Illinois loses six, seven points, something like that. And keep in mind, last year they had a late comeback to make that game a little bit closer than it was for much of it. I don't know if I see an Illinois at Michigan thing like we saw back in the COVID year or 2021 where you went in there without I.O. and you smoked him. But Bobo, I wouldn't be shocked by that either because what makes this matchup so intriguing is you know that Edie is going to get his, but I do think, similar to the way that Coleman could make Hunter work for it when he was at Michigan and Kansas earlier this year, he can make Edie work for it as well. Additionally, I think your guards, being as big as they are, Northwestern was a nice little test against scrappy little guards that can score like a Braden Smith and a Fletcher lawyer. They can score. Braden Smith's a really good point guard as well. And I don't really think that Boo Booey or Ty Berry or that, right? But I do think it was a nice warm up for that matchup because you had smaller guards that were probably quicker than your bigger guards. And yet defensively, that did not bother you too much. I think that Illinois defensively can really kind of interrupt Purdue the question is, offensively, does this continue? And Bobo, if offensively this does continue, sure, I could see a win. I really could. Am I going to expect it? No. Would I be shocked by it? No. And if they do win, it's going to be a great weekend. I mean, I'm going to be, think of cloud nine. Imagine this, Friday night. How would you celebrate if they got that win? And of course, there are many more games to play, but it would be quite the statement from this team. All right, this is from Smitty. Derek and uh, Jeremy mentioned that Dane's presence in the lane doesn't help the booty ball offense, but I hope Brad finds a creative way for him to be involved. We'll we'll love to see a few Dane games. And I think you'll get those, Smitty. I I wondered last night in the second half when you were up by that much, why not more Dane? But you were clicking, so just let it ride. And I think Brad Underwood even mentioned in the post-game press conference something about margin of victory and how it does matter with the net rankings and all that. I, I kind of like the fact that this team was thinking, we're already up 30, let's just keep our foot on their throat. By the way, Northwestern got hot late for some reason. I, 
and we were just trading buckets for the last bit. They were just making garbage time threes and whatever. That's going to happen sometimes. But I do think Dane will have a few more games, Smitty. I, I feel for him that he's just kind of a square peg in a round hole with what this team is really good at. But man, did he have a great moment. I thought the couple minutes in the first half he played were great. I really did. And then that little touch pass back to Harmon. Was it Harmon? I forget who. To finish that layup. I think it was Harmon. That that transition bucket they got was really cool. It just showed a lot of awareness and a lot of intelligence from Dane. And good for him. And I hope that, and I do think he will get more opportunities. So yeah, that, that leads to the Purdue game on Friday. We'll be here for the second half. And... What a what a week it's been to go from last Thursday to this on Wednesday morning and and be feeling really good about this this team on the court. Now, this is where I'm going to transition into the Terrence situation. I need to get some water real quick. Ah, there we go. Now, what has happened since we last talked about the Terrence situation? I, I want to start as kind of a precursor to any of this sort of conversation that you know there's such a gravity and a weight to it that I want to be honest in what I say but I also understand given the nature of the topic you know we need to be careful with how we talk about it because this is an ongoing process and we don't know a ton of facts but here are some things that we do know after yesterday and I got to give champagne showers some props for this and I know that Jeremy got a FOIA request and posted his not long after but both Champagne Showers and Jeremy and I think others probably applied for, they, they sent the FOIA request of the Freedom of Information Act to the Lawrence PD to get a police report. And that came out yesterday. And the information that was on that report was for both the rape charge, the felony rape charge and the misdemeanor sexual battery. Now, there were a few things that seemed kind of confusing with this. One, it did confirm that this happened on Saturday, September 9th, it gave a time of 2.47 p.m. So this is middle of the afternoon. It did confirm that this happened at a public place, specifically a bar. The weirdness really begins where one charge said that the suspect, Terrence Shannon Jr., may have been drinking alcohol, and the other charge said he was not. One charge had a weapon as part of it, personal weapon, which could include your hands or your any part of your body, right? And one charge did not. So there were a few inconsistencies. Now, that could all be explained away in a court where the officer goes in and says, here's why I filed it the way that I did. That doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. But understandably, Alani fans, when they're looking at this, are trying to make sense of it and thinking, why the discrepancies? So for something that I know from, can I call them sources without sounding pretentious? <laughs> I'm very important and I have sources. No, I. but from the sources that I do have, the smoke around this whole thing, yesterday's police report didn't help to dissipate that smoke. That something is, there's a few things that need to be cleared up. There's some inconsistencies that are making, I think, the athletic department side feel as if there is a path forward for Terrence with this legal case. So that was one of them. I did a little bit of sleuthing myself because when it's winter break and I, I have my breakfast and instead of going to school afterwards, I'm just chilling and I started playing SimCity 3000 again. 
what fun. So I have a lot of downtime, and I started reading up on Suzanne Valdez, who is the district attorney in Lawrence, Kansas. And I know a lot of Illini fans have mentioned, well, she's under investigation. And it is true that there were hearings for the district attorney the last full week of December before Christmas, three-day hearing about misconduct. Specifically, she was going after one of the judges in Lawrence that's been a judge for 30-some years. Highly respected out there, it sounds like. And she attacked him with Facebook posts. She was very antagonizing towards him with personal communication. She misrepresented things that he said. And she is looking potentially at a censure or all the way to a a disbarment. And she is in hot water out there. There were many employees in that district attorney's office that spoke at this hearing that were no longer at the district attorney's office. Some of them had worked there for 20, 30 years and said that the environment had become so toxic that they couldn't work there anymore. One lady spoke about how she had terrible migraines that developed working under Suzanne Valdez and she had to take a month off. After she quit, she had to take a month off before she went back to a law firm just to get her mental and physical health back. Now, what does that have to do with this case? Are we looking for things that aren't there? Or am, I, am I getting conspiratorial? That's not what I want to do. But it, it was something that added, yet again, another layer to the onion where you're thinking, okay, what's, what's really going on in Lawrence, Kansas? We do know something happened at a bar between Terrence and a girl. And I want to be very clear in saying that even if Terrence feels like he didn't do anything necessarily wrong. Given the complete murkiness and gray areas that come with sexual encounters, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, well, the accuser, she clearly got it wrong. One, I don't know that. And two, even if Terrence felt everything was above board, that doesn't mean that the accuser and potential victim didn't have some sort of trauma from what happened. There are so many narratives that we can create when trying to think, well, maybe this happened or this happened. And a lot of them can go down a path of just discrediting the victim. And this is something that over the course of the next month or whatever the process is between the prosecutor and the defense attorney, I I don't know much legal stuff, but I would assume that there are constant communications going between them and the police department and gathering evidence and all that. So each of them can build their case and decide what they want to do going forward. But regardless of how this thing shakes out, you know, discrediting the victim here or the potential victim is not my interest. The biggest interest I, and I hope most Illini fans have, and I do think have, is finding out exactly what happened and determining from that what is the proper punishment. And I mentioned the last podcast and and trying to walk on eggshells a little bit, but also being honest with you, you know, being a student at the University of Illinois from 05 to 09 and going to bars, which inexplicably here when you're 19, you can go to a bar. Makes a lot of sense, right? I don't know if that's the case in Lawrence, Kansas, but I do know that the bar scene with college kids that are liquored up and having a good time, you are going to have sexual encounters occur. Sometimes they occur in public, as icky (laughs) as that may sound, And as a 37-year-old, I empathize 
in, in, in some ways, I hope this doesn't sound patronizing, feel bad for these kids. They got to navigate all that crap. And it is such a messy thing to navigate. And I feel like mentally and physically, they are sometimes ill-equipped to truly handle it. They aren't adults yet, right? It's that weird stage between adolescence and young adulthood where they get to college and it's essentially summer camp for a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds. And we expect things to not get really messy and potentially bad sometimes. So that was a quick little left turn there just to remind listeners and, and kind of reframe this even for myself that the paramount importance here is not do whatever you got to do to get Terrence on the court. There might be a section of Illini fans that do think that. I think most Illini fans, at least the ones I've talked to, are, are treating this with the appropriate gravity and understanding that there are a myriad of outcomes here and that there are any number of things that could happen that day and there's more that we don't know than we do know. And all I can report from this podcaster's perspective (laughs) like i say sources and you're like huh what carp from what i am gathering there is a lot going on at the athletic department and even outside of that from people not even connected with the athletic department that suggests that there is confidence that terrence may be able to make a case for himself here and I think we can say with certainty, based on like the little quip from Justin Harmon yesterday in the post game, I don't think anyone in that locker room or coaching staff, and if I were to even take it above, all the way to the top in Josh Whitman, I don't think any of them feel like Terrence Shannon sexually assaulted, let alone raped somebody in Lawrence, Kansas. When we get little nuggets from Lauren Tate on Saturday, on Sportsline, and he's not the only one, mind you, that brings up Bill Self is doing what he can to help. Paraphrasing there. It just seems like Terrence's reputation has a lot of people in his corner. Now, I hope that if for whatever reason he is able to get out of this or get or be exonerated from it, it's not just because he had a good reputation beforehand and he's got powerful people pulling strings. I hope that's not the outcome here. I hope the outcome is because if that were the outcome, it's because he didn't do something. And I don't know what we would necessarily have to see in order to say with certainty that nothing happened. But it's such a weird place to be because thinking back to when I was in school from 05 to 09 and now how much more sensitive and aware people are to sexual assault cases on campus than they were even when I was in school. The, the old adage of innocent until proven guilty is still being held here to a degree because he is able to live his life and do his thing to an extent not like he was before the charge, and not be in jail. Go to his court appearances and all that. He's going to go through the legal process, but he's not having to spend his time in jail. So in that regard, he is innocent until proven guilty. But because of the nuclear nature of that word rape, and this is where I really hope when the district attorney made this charge, 
that they truly felt the evidence was compelling enough to do so. Because that word is not something you ever live down. Justifiably so, if one committed such an act. But if it was murky enough, and we're still throwing out that nuclear R word, it took Kobe Bryant years to wash the rape allegation from what happened in in Colorado back in what, 2008? Maybe it was even earlier than that, 2003? Whenever it was, it took him years to wipe that off of himself. And of course, he was beloved and everything, and then the tragedy of him dying back in 2020, you didn't hear a whole lot about that charge 15 years after the fact, right? But that is a rare case of someone somehow in the court of public opinion being able to overcome something like that. The gravity that we give the accuser and potential victim here, the appropriate weight that we give their testimony and what they think happened, I also want to try to grant to the accused. And I'm asking myself, am I just doing that because it's Terrence and he's an Alani guy? I'm sure subconsciously that's playing a role. I mean, yeah, I, from what I understood and everything I heard about Terrence leading up to this, none of them indicated that he would be someone that would do something like this. But it's like that old cliche when you know something bad happens in a neighborhood and the newscast goes to a neighbor and they say, did you ever expect this? No, we never would have expected that person to do it. Listen, I, I understand how foolish that sounds. To say, well, just because I heard someone was a nice guy, I can't believe they did something bad. No, that would be naive to say. But the same gravity that I and weight that I give the accuser, I want to give the accused in this case, for a myriad of reasons, and I know that subconsciously there's probably that Illini fandom thing ticking in my head, and it would be it it would probably be an outright lie for me to say that that's not a little part of that formula as to why I'm I'm kind of abstaining from making judgments on this, let alone I don't really have a lot of facts in front of me. So to make a judgment would be pretty, pretty foolish. But I'm just saying from my perspective and what I have gathered so far and the smoke that is around this thing, it is not cut and dry. And it will be a very interesting month ahead. And I don't know how much, at the end of this, whatever the result is, I don't know how much clarity we're going to have in the entire situation. Certainly more than we have today, but maybe not enough for us to make a 100% declaration of innocence or guilt or not guilty, right? Somewhere in the middle. But it will be an ongoing story and it's going to be kind of weird parallel tracks here in the podcast where I'm not going to come on here and just brazenly speculate about what happened in that bar at 2.47 in the afternoon on Saturday, September 9th. I'm not going to brazenly speculate about things, but as things unfold and as things trickle down and we get a, a better picture of where, I mean, I can at least get little tidbits from Terrence's perspective, I just, at least from the athletic department, but I want to be sure to counterbalance that with the fact that That is one perspective, and it's not the whole perspective. Crazy. Uh, That I I, I don't know. I hope I'm doing okay talking about something this sensitive because 
there, there's no easy way to do it and there's no necessarily even right way to do it. But I also think that to walk on eggshells entirely when it comes to cases of, of sexual assault and rape, this is something that is a major problem on college campuses and elsewhere, but college campuses are just such a hotbed for this sort of thing, even in 2023, in 2024, now that we're in the new year. And one thing that this country and culture, as I mentioned in the last podcast, not to get too sociological here, but the one thing this country has never been particularly good at is talking about sex. And that puritanical thing from hundreds of years ago still kind of is coursing through our cultural vein. And what it leads to is a lot of bad bad communication bad communication miscommunications and sometimes the worst effects of those can be seen in sexual assault cases where we are asking our young people to make mature decisions and they are ill-equipped to do so old man carp will get off his soapbox now apologies for that couple more things here. Uh, one more here from Smitty. Every opponent's student section is going to remind the team about this all season. Hope coaches prepare them for that. Smitty, that, that of course, would be a consideration if Terrence ever came back. Apples and oranges. We look at the Brandon Miller situation last year with Alabama. He furnished a murder weapon, basically. I mean, he did and drove his buddy to commit a murder and he still played on the team. That seemed pretty egregious, right? Just as it would be egregious that if Terrence committed rape, for him to see the court as an Illini ever again. That would be egregious. But I do think, Smitty, that would be something that if they ever had to cross that bridge, they would have to prepare the team for. I think they're old enough where they could get over it. Here's the thing, too. I was even thinking about this. You know, Karen and I are going to the Michigan State game well, we're going to the home game next Thursday, but we're also going to go to East Lansing. So one of the Christmas presents I got her was two tickets to the Illinois-Michigan State game. We have never, she's never been to the Breslin Center. So even as an alum, she went to a bunch of football games, but if you weren't in the zone, it was really difficult as a student to get tickets to a Michigan State basketball game. So got a pair of tickets. We're going to go to that. Really looking forward to it. I haven't been to, I don't think I've been to any other Big Ten basketball arena now that I think about it. Anywho, think about this, right? If Terrence were back for that game, of course the Izzone could say something, but this is also the campus where Larry Nazar ran amok for years, decade even, right? Sexually assaulting countless people. Does Penn State really have a leg to stand on? I, we could go down the list and we would probably find that most of these opposing fan bases and schools, of course they're going to say things. Fine. That comes to the territory. Whether he's exonerated or not, that's not just going to be completely wiped off his record. But I, I would imagine that most of these places have had a player with some sort of run-in with sexual assault, sexual battery, maybe even rape. So while that is going to happen, Smitty, if Terrence would ever come back to the court, the unfortunate truth with college sports is that you go to most places and they've had their own experiences with this. It just so happens that with Illinois in this case, it happened to be your potential All-American who is playing out of his mind and is a big key to this team's ultimate ceiling of how far they want to go. In a way, that complicates this whole thing because Illinois, if 
they were to become privy to information that helps Terrence prove his innocence or prove that he wasn't guilty of these two charges, they as an institution still have a lot of massaging to do in the court of public opinion to make this look above board. That's where I guess having a lawyer and Josh Whitman as your athletic department, as your athletic director is a major coup and, and very beneficial in a situation like this. But boy, are they going to have to be extra careful if it were to come to that? Because we have seen many times in Alabama being one example last year, big money college sports will move mountains to get a player back on the quarter field. If Illinois does something that looks like that, as, as an institution, it doesn't look great. And, and morally speaking, as a fan and an alum myself, I would be a little worried about that. There'd be that little pit in the stomach of, okay, did we really do this the right way? Boy, it's going to be a weird month ahead. I, I, there's going to be speculative thoughts that come out in the next month. And I will try to be responsible with it and, and try to navigate that the best I can. But we're going to talk about it. And uh, hopefully we're doing okay. I don't know. <laughs> it's a sports podcast. I, I wasn't prepared for this. They didn't teach me this in Journalism 200 at the U of I. They didn't teach me this when I was at 107.1 doing the sports sports show every Monday night. But you know what? Uh, this is the nature of college and professional sports. These legal things will come into it and we'll give it our best shot. But hey, I appreciate you guys listening. Here we are in the new year. Wow, it's going to be a crazy spring, to say the least. And uh, for those on the YouTube uh, feed this morning, I appreciate you joining on a Wednesday morning. For our sponsors, DP Doe, I'm on at dpdoe.com. You can order online at dpdoe.com. State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian is my guy. And he can be your guy as well at brianismyguy.com. Owen Builders, LLC, online at owenbuildersllc.com. Luke and his staff, expert uh, contractors that can work on home additions, patios, and decks. That's owenbuildersllc.com. And finally, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. Give them a call at 217-841-4728. That is Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. For Champagne Showers, Podcast Network, appreciate them and appreciate you. Have a good rest of your Wednesday and a good rest of your week. We will be back on Friday night for a big one in West Lafayette. Number nine, Illinois. Number one, Purdue. What the hell? Let's go out there and have some fun. See you soon, everybody. It is the 200 level.